Hello, and welcome to the first annual Audio Food Fight. You are listening to the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast, the most forward-leaning free-thought podcast in all of Oklahoma County. And today we will be touching upon one of the touchiest and most personal of ethical issues, namely the consumption and promotion of pork products. Tonight's resolution is as follows. Resolved. Bacon is a scourge upon the atheist community and must be stopped. Arguing for the affirmative position, we have Damian Reinhardt and Charles Stewart who have been active within the local atheist community for over 10 years and have personally crashed high-profile godless cocktail parties from Wichita to Chickasha. Arguing for the negative position, we have Paul Dawson and Abby Trice. Paul is the Professor Emeritus of Vegetarian Casseroles at the Slaughterville Culinary Institute and holds a second-degree black belt in Minecraft. Abby is a Bible blogger and progressive activist, perhaps best known for her pioneering work on the real Ten Commandments. The format for tonight's debate will be as follows. Damien will lead off with his affirmative case for the resolution, followed by Paul's case in the negative, followed by Charles in the affirmative, and followed by Abby in the negative. Each speaker will have up to five minutes to state their case. This will be followed by a loosely moderated cross-examination period, which will slowly devolve into name-calling and food-flinging. Enjoy! Thank you for that, Jason, and thank you all for listening today. Every faith community is occasionally riven over matters of doctrine and practice, and this goes for communities of unfaith as much as anyone else. Those who see themselves as reformers may be recorded by history as splitters, heretics, or worse. Acutely aware of these issues, it is with great trepidation that I have come to the conclusion that I must speak out against bacon. That's right, bacon. It is a growing threat to the freethought community, and I'm here to warn you all against it. Firstly, It is an explicitly pro-Christian food. Allow me to quote just a bit from the late, great Christopher Hitchens on this point. From God is not great, pages 40 to 41. I'm going to break into my very best Christopher Hitchens impression here for a second, so bear with me. Porcophilia can also be used for oppressive and repressive purposes. In medieval Spain, where Jews and Muslims were compelled on pain of death and torture to convert to Christianity the religious authorities quite rightly suspected that many of the conversions were not sincere. Indeed, the Inquisition arose partly from the holy dread that secret infidels were attending Mass, where, of course, and even more disgustingly, they were pretending to eat human flesh and drink human blood in the person of Christ himself. Among the customs that arose in consequence was the offering, at most events formal and informal, of a plate of charcuterie. Those who have been fortunate enough to visit Spain or any good Spanish restaurant, will be familiar with the gesture of hospitality. Literally dozens of pieces of differently cured, differently sliced pig. But the grim origin of this lies in a constant effort to sniff out heresy and to be unsmilingly watchful for giveaway expressions of distaste. In the hands of eager Christian fanatics, even the toothsome Hamon Iberico could be pressed into service as a form of torture. Five years ago, Hitchens warned us of the potentially evil uses of bacon, but many devout atheists have refused to heed his warnings. Instead, they continue to interject bacon into conversation and inject it into recipes, with wanton disregard of the role it has historically played in enforcing Christian dominionism throughout the Iberian Peninsula. Why, you ask, are Christians so keen on bacon? Is it merely a means of distinguishing themselves from Jews and Muslims? Or does this perverse porcophilia go deeper? It goes deeper, my friends. It goes so much deeper to the very roots of the Christian church itself. 
The two great pillars of the early church, of course, were the apostles Paul and Peter. Paul's mission was to bring the Christian gospel to the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire, peoples already quite familiar with and indulgent in all manner of pork products. Paul's major hang-up was with the practice of circumcising new Christian converts, as if they were Jews, a ritual requirement which was not exactly helping along his missionary efforts, and which he helped abolish by writing screeds against it. Needless to say, new converts flowed in far more rapidly once this issue was resolved in favor of Paul. Peter's mission, meanwhile, was primarily to bring Jews into the Christian fold, men who were circumcised from birth, but may have been well-educated and culturally Hellenized. For these men, circumcision was not a live issue, but pork surely was. In major centers of Roman influence, such as Sepphoris and Caesarea, first century Jews would have seen their Gentile neighbors herding swine, pulling pork, and frying bacon. They would also be well aware from their rabbinical training that God changes the dietary rules every so often, such as after the Noahic flood and again with the proclamation of the Levitical Holiness Code. They would know that any true Messiah would bring with him a new order of the ages, the inbreaking kingdom of God, and with that, the possibility of a new set of social relations and dietary rules. Jesus alluded to such an upheaval when he repeatedly proclaimed that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But did that saying apply only to persons or also to that which they consume? Would the most ritually unclean of animals be cleared for human consumption in the new dispensation? With the smell of frying bacon still wafting about, Peter fretted over this question day and night, until finally the answer came to him in a dream. Allow me to describe the dream to you briefly. On the morrow, as they went upon their journey, and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, that is to say, around midday. And he became very hungry, and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending upon him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And a voice said to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, call not thou common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted what this vision should be taken to mean, there is no doubt what contemporary theologians and artists have, have taken it to mean. I'd ask you to go to the Google machine, you type in Peter's vision, and you pull up a series of images uh, to give you a good sense of how we depict this in, in uh, Western art. And you will notice a pattern. Most of those animals are there aren't that appealing in and of themselves, such as the reptiles, or they're incredibly hard to get, such as the lions and bears, or they're already kosher. The only domesticated animal on the menu that clearly appeals to the Hellenized Jews at the time period was... You guessed it, the pigs. Peter's amazing flying carpet picnic blanket at once solves the problem of how to give men who are already circumcised an incentive to join the nascent Jesus movement. Bacon! In conclusion, then, we've seen that the two great pillars of the early Christian church solved similar recruitment problems in a similar manner, by assimilating themselves to the culture of the Gentile polytheists. In doing so, however, they sealed the fate of the Christian church forever. No longer could it maintain its identity as an insular Jewish sect, but instead has to look outward for new converts, leading eventually to the global colonization by Christians and the wholesale destruction of native peoples by viruses originally endemic to Indo-European swine herds.
Do free thinkers really want to associate ourselves with an animal that has wrought so much harm in the name of Christ? Or shall we instead stand boldly on the side that of all that is right and good and pure, that is, pasta? The FSM will no longer tolerate second billing to this upstart bacon meme. There is only one true holy food. Pastafarians of the world unite! You have nothing to lose but your hypercholesterolemia! And for the next opening statement, Paul Dawson. Fellow freethinkers, we're here to debate today to debate the nature of bacon and its effect on our community as a whole. Listening to my opponent, he would have you believe there's biblical evidence citing the use of sizzling morsels to further the cause of Christianity. I challenge him to find just one instance of the word bacon in the Bible, or even the Apocrypha. Assuming the 16th century Middle English definition of bacon as, quote, all pork, his central claim seems to be bacon was, and presumably still is, though not necessarily supported by his evidence, used as a catalyst for the social spread of Christianity, and therefore is bad for the community. I argue otherwise. I realize I come from a strange background to make this case. But the health of our growing community is at stake. Bacon is an important part, not only of a balanced breakfast, but also of a balanced community. What could be more communal than the sharing of food, the breaking of bread, and the crisping of bacon? Speaking evolutionarily, Homo sapiens and their ape counterparts have been grouping around the cook fires for the better part of the last 10,000 years. According to Kate Melville, in August of 2010, the University of Connecticut scientists working on a 12,000-year-old archaeological site in Israel say they have evidence that ancient feast to celebrate the burial of the dead brought about the world's first established communities. She goes on to say, the Natufian community members who lived in the area at the time gathered at the site for special rituals to commemorate the burial of the dead, and feasts were central elements. Food is a binding agent, and it helps build strong communities, especially when reinforced with a savory sense of frying bacon. We have to step back and ask ourselves, are we going to fight thousands of years of social evolution, or are we going to accept its peppercorn goodness? In regards to some of my opponent's claims, I would like to draw attention to a few of St. Gregory's examples of gluttony, a deadly sin in the Christian tradition. In definition number two, seeking delicacies and a better quality of food to gratify the, quote, vile sense of taste. There are following biblical examples in Numbers 11.4. Or take, for example, definition five, taking food with too much eagerness, even when eating the proper amount, and even if the food is not luxurious. There are biblical examples in Genesis 25.30. As you can see, bacon clearly falls into both of these examples. How could bacon possibly be Christian-specific? And even if it was once, the tradition has long since been abandoned. Before closing, I would like to point out my opponent mostly make, makes one large argument from the past. Where is the evidence saying bacon is still a tool of proselytizing? In addition, if we are to take this contention at face value, 
Are we also to stop using current tools of the Christian community building? What of potlucks? What of group gatherings? What of Facebook? To make such an argument would seem to undermine the very process that birthed our atheist community into existence. Damien ends with a plea to our deity. I would remind him of the pork content in our magical meatballs. Up next, arguing the affirmative, Chaz Stewart. Ladies, gents, as atheists, we have examined and now understand the drive to believe in gods. Most of us have experienced the emotional tug from sky daddies, and we know that we were part and parcel of their creation. Even after I had all the facts at my disposal, I was still unable to pull the plug on my celestial pop for some time. I now think it was because I knew I was dispensing with a crutch in my life that I would never retrieve. Thankfully, I no longer think as a child and have learned to extinguish those childish convictions. Because of my firm belief that religion fosters feeble minds, I feel it is my duty to expound upon the devastating effects of all the other crutches that exist and are flourishing without any examination. Some people here believe that bacon will be my Waterloo, but I will let the listener decide. Let me paint a picture for the audience. You are in Gordon Ramsay's kitchen. He's not doing anything, of course, but his sous chefs that he is verbally abusing are working their magic. They precisely plate pristine dishes that will be rated by the diner primarily based on the ingredients that he is likely to employ. I can almost smell and taste the air of that kitchen now. My senses are not likely to be clogged by the heavy stench of grease spewed forth from sizzling bacon, is it? No! Ramsey's audience expects more than the Katie's country kitchen they pass on the way to Shea Ramsey. They crave varied textures, complex tastes, and freshly sweet aromas. Every charlatan can dupe most diners by masking their dishes' inequities with crispy bacon. But the ability to recognize a polished turd is what separates us from the mouth breathers walking amongst us. When you left religion, what did you experience? I found that I had freed my mind from its silly constraints and was able to enjoy more opportunities in life. I no longer had a go-to answer for every phenomenon not immediately understood, and this forced me to reason and research my way to greater understanding. Also, even though that transitional time in my life is gone, I retain the same skeptical nature, and this mindset never fails in keeping me engaged in the only life you and I know we have to live. I'm telling you this because I know that your break from bacon will be arduous, and at times you will remember why you embarked on this task. But when you taste Gordon Ramsay's sea bass with pepper sauce, you will think of this day. In these debates, we have heard several highfalutin arguments, but I'm worried that these won't connect with uh, the average atheist who is really more worried about getting through their day than high bakeology. So my argument is simply this. Bacon is delicious. Bacon. Bacon. Bacon's delicious. Mm-hmm. What? Bacon. Oh, God. Bacon's. Bacon's pretty delicious, you guys. Oh, oh God. 
bacon, bacon. I, mm. oh god, bacon is delicious. Mm. Bacon. <laughs> I can't believe you're actually eating it while you're doing that. It's <laughs> so good. Oh my god. So oh god. Mm. Way to commit to it. It's so great. Do you need more? I have more bacon. <laughs> I don't really want some now. You won me over. I give up on the cross hex. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I can't argue against the delicious bacon. <laughs> oh, God. You win. Abby, you win. I forfeit. <laughs> there will be no cross-examination. I don't have a heart. Gordon Ramsay would learn a lot from you. <laughs> oh, <you're okay. laughs> I actually, yeah, I just ate, like, five pieces of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you so fucking win. Uh. <laughs> oh, I feel kind of sick. This is possibly the coolest thing I've ever done online. Yeah, I have to say, this is the greatest podcast, I think. That we... I, don't know, I feel that's a logical fallacy argument from tastiness. Oh, I don't know if it is. I don't know. I remember, all utilitarian arguments are based on subjective needs. <laughs> you really added some flair to it there. Really did. For someone who didn't write out a statement, that was amazing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you guys feel stupid for writing stuff down now? I do, I do. <laughs> Why did I work on this? <laughs> I just worked and made myself some bacon. <laughs> Jason, would you would you take us out on a, a serious moderator like note? Oh god, I don't know if I can. Well we were gonna just ask each other questions. I'm not sure if I can do it now. I feel like you've won so definitively. <laughs> Due to circumstances beyond our control, <laughs> this wraps up the first culinary debate of the Oklahoma Atheist Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, and that concludes the, our debate this evening. We're going to skip the cross-examination due to everyone now running out to find bacon. <laughs> for the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast, this is Damien. This is Chats. And this is Paul. That's it, Nambi. <laughs> Wishing you all a happy April Fool's Day. The Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at 
www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license. Jared's music in the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast are hosted courtesy of the Internet Archives Community Audio Collection, available at www.archive.org. To join discussion about the ideas presented presented in today's show, please visit our blog at blog.oklahomaatheist.com.